Welcome to the Star Singer Podcast. I'm Tiffany, and I'm here to help you to transform your singing into standing ovation-worthy performances and auditions. You can be cast in your dream role, and you can give amazing performances and feel confident about how you sound. So let's do this. Hello, before we get started, I'm so excited to invite you to my free class called Get Cast Fast, Four Steps to Earning Your Dream Music Theater Role. We're going to go through the three biggest mistakes that singers and performing auditioners make, and we're going to go through the dream role framework so that you can finally earn that dream role that you deserve. I'm so excited to invite you, and you can go to starsinger.co slash p slash register to register and I'll leave that link in the description or you can DM me on Instagram at starsingerco. Now that you've registered, let's start this episode. All right, so I am here with Bruce Moore, and Bruce has a particular interest in vocal health as he lost his voice while studying music at university. For the next five years, he tried navigating the medical system for a solution. By chance, he found a retired music teacher who said that he could help, and through what appeared to be bizarre methods, helped Bruce gain an even better voice than the one he had lost. Bruce went on to study vocal anatomy, voice acoustics, and vocal health with various experts in the field, and was designated as a distinguished voice professional by the New York Singing Teachers Association in 2015. Bruce has since worked with singers with nodules, botched surgeries, and vocal blowouts, guiding them back into healthy singing. So I'm so excited to talk with you about this today, and I know that our listeners are going to enjoy it as well. So can you tell me about, this is, this is crazy, I can't imagine <laughs> losing my voice for five years. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, so- well, it was, yeah. Um... And of course, I didn't know how long it would last. And after about two years, I had pretty much given up. Uh, I, I, was, I thought that was it. I was done. And uh, singing was not something I was going to be doing anymore. And so, yeah, it was devastating. Can you tell me about the exact moment or the events leading up to the vocal loss and when you finally decided, like, I have to do something or I'm going to give up? Like, when was that moment? Basically, like our our voices are, are can be rather durable, and uh, our bodies are very adaptive. And so, you know, if there's you know one or two things maybe not working quite right with our voice, we can often still make that work. Um, but when you get a whole bunch of them kind of piled up at once, that's when that's when uh, the injury can happen. And then uh, it's it's kind of like a stack of dominoes. That then all everything goes down, and and you can't just pick them up. <laughs> uh, you have to actually deal with everything. So, if, so for instance, you have a, a bit of reflux and, um, you know, you might get away with that for a long time, but then if you add a bunch of other factors, uh, then you have to fix everything before your voice returns. So in my case, um, I was singing, I was having uh, a lot of really heavy singing uh, in university, a lot of heavy voice usage. I was singing kind of beyond my range a bit or I was singing without the technique for the range I was attempting. So, you know, one or the other. And um, 
And then, so I was doing that and getting by. And then I had a whiplash injury, had a car accident, and which I thought I was fine in because uh, those things can take a while to show up sometimes. So I had the whiplash injury. Then I had a, I had a really heavy bad cold. And uh, I suspect I took typical cold medication, which there's hardly anything actually that's really safe for the voice. Uh, I didn't know any of this at the time and nobody around me knew, you know, said anything to me about this sort of thing. And then on top of that, there was an emotional trauma too at the same time. And, uh, you know, our voices are connected to our bodies and our, our emotional state. And, you know, if you ever have a, have a grief response, you know, you feel choked up at grief. You know, that's, you know, that choking your throat, that can happen from other traumatic emotional things too. So, so I had like five factors all at once. And then uh, my voice just uh, shut down, essentially. And I thought it was a short-term thing. Oh, I just had a cold, yada, yada, yada. No, no. Then I got so I couldn't turn my neck properly. And it just went on and on. And I tried all these different things. And, and like I say, about two years, after about two years, I said, well, I guess that's it. I guess I'm done. And who knew and who would even consider like a whiplash injury to affect the voice? I mean, looking back on it in hindsight, it makes sense mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of, you know, our alignment. But who would even consider that? I mean, that's just so crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the combination of factors, too, to think that these things all work together to create a, an, an emotional thing. Like, that'd be like saying, well, it's just in your head. Well, it's not just in your head. <laughs> Yeah. It ends up in your voice. So can you describe um, some more a bit about that heavy singing? Was that in a choral setting? Yeah, it was. Or, yes. Okay. So you were, were you singing like tenor, first yeah. tenor? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was singing tenor in, in, uh, in a choral situation at university. So we had a lot of heavy rehearsals and, and I really, my technique was not where it needed to be to handle all those high notes. I remember coming out of rehearsals feeling kind of hoarse, but then I would get over it. So was it, did you feel like social or range pressure to, you know, force that out in the, in the chest voice or were you using the falsetto or did you just not even consider this at this time? Or were there, you know, the other guys around you that are like, whoa, you know, and you just yeah. feel like you have to kind of compete in order to just hear yourself. Oh, the falsetto tone was not acceptable. No, uh, yes. no, that was not, I mean, who sings with falsetto? My voice teacher at the time, I don't think she ever mentioned, well, no, she did mention it once, I think, but there was no training of it or any of that sort of thing. And it turned out that the falsetto um, uh, for male voices in particular is, is actually key to opening up their, their upper notes, which none of this I knew at all. Yeah. And I know that so many singers are just hesitant to use the falsetto or even female hot voice, mm -hmm, you know, because mm -hmm. they don't like how it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they don't, but the thing is it's, it's, it's half of our voice. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to walk on one leg. Oh, well, I don't like using the other leg because it looks funny. Well, maybe if you can build the other leg up, maybe you'll end up walking properly, <laughs> you know, instead of just hopping around. But that's how it felt to me with my voice anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, tell me about when you were like, okay, I have to do something or I just, I'm just going to quit singing. And then what happened to lead you on the path that you are on today? Right, right. Well, yeah, I'd officially said, well, I'm done with singing. So I, I'd moved on. I, I, you know, pursued other things. And, um, uh, 
uh, a fellow that I sung with in choir. We both sang in the tenor section. He had a he had a similar voice to mine. A sort of a, we, were, we were really light baritones, is what we were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Matt, who had you know some upper notes that were you know a little thin, but were passable. And um, so um, I saw heard him singing one day in church. Actually, we were both home in our hometown, and he was singing there. And he started this song. It was a solo, and I thought, oh, this is a lovely tune. And and then and then I had this horrible feeling in my stomach when I realized that the chorus was going to go way up and he, I knew he could like, I thought the accompanist started in the wrong key because Steve cannot sing that high. I thought it was a train wreck. I started sweating. I I was getting really worried for him. And we came to the chorus and he went up there and he just, just nailed that note. I thought, whoa, what? And afterwards I came up to him and I said, Steve, how, how did you do that? And he said, well, I started taking voice lessons with this, this fella, Mr. Pierce. And I said, Mr. Pierce. And it turned out I'd actually met Mr. Pierce about a year and a half previous. And, uh, and I'd mentioned that I was having these voice troubles and he was about, he was in his mid eighties and he said, uh, Oh, well, come see me. I I can fix it for you. And I thought, yeah, right. (laughs) I, I thought maybe he was a little, a little past it and maybe he was a little senile or something. I, I don't know. But then when my you know, brother-in-law told me that Steve, he ended up being my brother-in-law, that this is the guy he went to see. I thought, well, I've got nothing else. To, I mean, I'm done. I've stopped singing. I'll just go see him and see what happens. And, uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So yeah. what was the first like breakthrough that you had with Mr. Pierce? Mm-hmm. Well, there was, there was really gradual, odd things he had me do laying on the floor with a big rock on my stomach. That's all we said about breathing. He says, here, this is going to make you breathe right. <laughs> it's okay, whatever, you know. Singing these, these horrid, horrid sounds. He was teaching me how to relax uh, all the musculature in my throat. So that, and he had me spend all sorts of time working on my falsetto. He says, this is the key to your upper notes. I thought, well, okay, whatever, you know, I'll just do what he says. Now, so that's the technique part. So while we're working on that, I'm also going to physiotherapy, going to a gym, swimming, trying to get everything in my upper body loosened up from the whiplash injury. I'd gotten over the emotional trauma. It was a girl thing (laughs) back in university. And I'd met my soon-to-be wife. That emotional thing had all let go. Um, Of course, the cold was gone. So, you know, all those dominoes that had gone down were being stacked back up again. And then what ended up happening, so, so I was able to sing okay for my wedding. You know, I had a nice even tone, nothing, nothing great, but it was stable. So that was something. Yeah. Yeah. So that was great. But that was, that was actually only in the beginning because as we kept doing all this falsetto work and he had me working these scales and eventually, um, so I could, I, could, I could yell out a G or an A maybe, <laughs> sort of. When I first went to see him, I could barely make a sound on an F sharp. And then one day, I remember it was a, uh, it was a Thursday. It was a Thursday afternoon, and he had me do his typical scales. And I went up, and I and I I just kept going higher and higher without switching into my falsetto. It just blended right up, and I I went up to I went up to a high C for goodness sakes, and I couldn't wow. before. <laughs> and was it mixed or full voice? Well, that's a good question. And, and if you are unable to perceive it, I mean, it, that that is so cool because, like, 
you know, mm-hmm. that's what we all want, one big connected voice. Right. Well, um, I knew it was not falsetto. I didn't know what it was, frankly, because I'd, I'd never right. had like that come, but my whole body was vibrating. <laughs> and, you know, and <laughs> the next lesson, I actually got to the F above the C. It wasn't pretty, wow. but it was, it was there and it wasn't falsetto. And, and actually, once, once it went past C, um, it, it wouldn't come out any other way. It, it, so was it falsetto? Wasn't it? I didn't know. I mean, looking, what, what would I call it now? Was it a mix? I don't know. I don't know what it was. Yeah, probably mix because of just physical like, yeah. limitations at that point. Yeah, um, yeah especially absolutely. for men, it's it's unable to perceive to the audience. Like, who cares? You know, everyone's oh, yeah. looking for that strength and power. And if it feels good, who cares? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what my that's what my coach was saying too. And, you know, and, and I was flabbergasted at this. Like, what? And and you know, he sat there with this little grin on his face and. And, and, and just kind of smiling <laughs> to himself, like, yeah, I've seen it before, you know, whatever. And, like, and I'd never had any teacher work, do any of this stuff with me before. So this was also very bizarre. And uh, yeah, and, and he continued teaching right until he was 103. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I, and I kept working with him off and on over all that time. It was great. Yeah, the guy was just amazing. Let me say his name again, Glenn Pierce, okay? Glenn Pierce. Does he yes. have any um, writings or material or um, scientific no. papers? Uh, no, he doesn't have any of that stuff, but he, he followed Cornelius L. Reed. You okay. Up his stuff, The Free Voice by Cornelius L. Reed. Cornelius Reed ended up, I think, at Columbia University at the end. He, they were actually born the same year, although they'd never met. And... Um, and his, his techniques are, were initially really poo-pooed by most of his contemporaries. They just said the guy's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Turned out he wasn't, so. Right. <laughs> um, so how, about, how long did this take before you had this breakthrough on a Thursday? <laughs> right. The, um, so he would go away, Mr. Pierce would go away to Florida for every winter. So let's see, I worked with him for about six to eight months, starting from like basically hardly any voice at all. So we did about eight months. That would be like twice a week. And then when I came back, it was another, so I don't know. So I probably worked with them about a year and a half. Yeah. And there are points where I, I kept asking myself, why, why am I still doing this? Yeah. So and this is, my, sorry. Yeah, and this is like every week? week. Yeah. Twice a week. Twice a week, okay, yeah, for week. an hour, half an hour. Yeah, half, half an hour because he, uh, he would work me really hard. He said, because yeah. you can't do an hour, <laughs> especially with that, that 35 pound weight on my belly. There was just absolutely no way. I, I, would, I would come out of there just sweat pouring off my head, you know, but there wasn't strain in the throat. It was none of that. Right. Yeah. And it takes a lot of mental energy too to just focus on all of those concepts and try to keep that energy going. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I like about your story and what, be, what might be interesting for everyone is the fact that you said, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to listen to him. I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to do it. And for a lot of people, a year and a half, you know, we know that's done. That's not a long time. Like, <laughs> but a year and a half is a long time for a lot of people. Some people are very impatient, you know, they want it right now. And what can you say to some of those singers who, because you came at this with such an open mind and it worked. Yeah, well, in my case, I, I really had to because I, I'd lost it all. I, I had given up on it all. 
So when I came to him, I was pretty much a blank slate. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, my preconceived notions, nothing had worked. And my voice even didn't feel like my voice anymore. So I just, you know, I'm just going to do, here's the thing though. You see, what kept me going was I saw what happened with my brother-in-law. Okay. I saw the change. I saw that he was singing up there around, singing B flats, which he couldn't do before. I saw that. So that just, that just kept me in the game. So that, okay, if, if Steve can do it, why not me? <laughs> you know? And, and then, and I had nothing to lose. You know? So I'm just going to keep going at it. And, you know, I since learned, I don't know if your listeners, uh, if they're familiar with uh, Luciano Pavarotti, you know, kind of the greatest tenor operatic voice of his generation. Well, who isn't? I mean, yeah, even, yeah. even people who don't like opera have heard of Pavarotti. Yeah, you'd, you'd hope. And, you know, I read his, his autobiographies and he said for the first six months, and he only started training at 19, the first six months he trained every day and all he did was scales, up and down, no songs, nothing. All they did is work on the scales and the registers for six months every day. That kind of dedication, in his estimation, he says that's the reason why he ended up being, well, the greatest really of his, his, his time. It was that kind of work. You put that kind of work in with a good teacher um, and, you know, and provided you have a little bit of opportunity to use it somewhere. I, I don't know why people can't achieve their full potential. See, see, he wasn't, he wasn't particular. He was actually a mediocre singer. Believe, honestly, you read the book. One of his friends says, honestly, Luciana was not the best singer in our group of friends at 18. So, Figure that one. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Well, that's like super inspiring. And yeah. that's so helpful because so many people don't understand like the importance of scales. Like they just want to get right into the song. They're like, I can do it in the scales, you know, but I am unable to do it in the song, you know? And it's like, well, you have to build up that muscle memory. Like your voice has to get used to it. That's and exactly it's it. so important. And it's just great to hear that story because we I mean, everyone's heard of Luciano Pavarotti, which kind of goes into, you know, is there like a myth or something that's usually explained incorrectly according to teachers um, and singers, especially those who aren't familiar with vocal anatomy? And how would you explain this? And what would your advice be? Kind of a stereotypical myth that you hear, like for me, it would be like support with your diaphragm, you know, <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> yes, the old, uh, yeah, the truth is you, you can't breathe without your diaphragm. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's, you know, the diaphragm bit. That's the typical, um, your diaphragm is, is actually flexing when you're breathing in and, and it's actually relaxing when the air is going out and you're using all the musculature below it to try and slow it down. So you don't sing from your diaphragm. I mean, well, you do. But what they're trying to say is, yeah, you're supposed to be using all the, the musculature below that. And, and, you know, the unfortunate thing is, uh, is when we're trying to explain all these concepts, we often have to use metaphors. Mm. And sometimes the metaphors break down. And if you're a teacher who um, has learned only by metaphors and you don't have the anatomy or even the acoustic background to understand the science behind it, uh, that, that can be a little bit limiting sometimes. And sometimes you can give actually wrong information to people. Yeah. So, and, and I, was, I started pursuing this stuff because, well, Mr. Pierce put my voice back together and I want to know why did, how did that work? <laughs> my yeah. voice teacher was like that too in college. He, yeah. 
he knew what he was talking about. You could, he knew his anatomy and whatever, but he would never tell me any answers. And I'm like grateful for that because I did have, you know, classes where we learned about that, mm -hmm. but it was all based on like feeling and like, we're going to do this weird Spider-Man thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, Spider-Man works for some students and Spider-Man doesn't work for other students. So if you exactly. understand the anatomy behind it, you can switch your metaphor quickly. Like yeah. I, I will say, well, you know, I'd say to somebody, well, you got to, uh, it's like uh, shifting gears on a standard, you know, between mm. registers. And, and most of my young students look at me blankly and I go, <laughs> oh, all right, okay. So I can't, I can't use that metaphor with them, but I can use Star Wars metaphors with multi-generations. So I like using Star Wars. <laughs> I don't know who, you know, when I try and get them to, to open their throat, I say, think of Darth Vader and that, oh, that sound he makes, you know, <laughs> that usually helps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what is one of the most important things that singers can do today to help mm -hmm. to preserve their vocal health and still hear an improvement in their voice? Yeah, um, you know, we can learn an awful lot from sports science about this, this sort of thing. Sports science is really advanced. They're further, much further advanced than I think the, the, the vocal science. And yet we are vocal athletes. You know, our voice is part of our, our body. Our voice is, you know, the instrument is not separate from our body. And so, um, so what do, what do uh, professional athletes do to get maximum performance? they do cross training they they warm up properly that's probably like the biggest quickest thing you can do to really help warm up properly and and now what is properly and then you yes. go into all that right what's a proper warm-up and you know mr pierce he would have me do uh, a whole lot of just silent physical exercises before we even got to using the voice to get the body ready to use the voice and one, one thing that's uh, really helped me was realizing how much uh, a bit of aerobic exercise before training or singing can really make a big difference. So yes. I was, yeah, so I had, I had uh, an occasional gig doing uh, anthems down at the ballpark. And I would go down there for the sound check an hour before and I would do the sound check. And then I would, you know, maybe do stairs or something to keep, keep myself kind of limbered up and, and, uh, and, and then I'd sing the anthem, and it'd be fine. And then one day, uh, I didn't have the car available, so I rode my bike down for the sound check. It was about a 20-minute bike ride. I walked in there, and the sound check was better than I'd ever sung it live for anything. <laughs> came out so easily. Yeah. And that was just the, a 20-minute easy bike ride. Oh, my goodness. So, I, you know, I tell my students, look, if you get a chance to ride your bike to your lesson here, you know, we will skip, we'll jump ahead so much further. And, and I'd recommend that for anybody who's doing any kind of voice training not just training but performing if you're gonna go and perform man if you can get in i mean don't run up and down the stairs so you're out of breath just before you go on the stage because that's not going to help you it's got to be a little bit earlier but man if you can get your breathing apparatus apparatus all opened up it's 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 like icing on the cake it's it's fabulous so you know you do that then you do things like the lip trills and you know to stretch your vocal folds out and that sort of stuff yeah definitely could you maybe give us one go-to warm-up that someone who maybe doesn't have a voice teacher or is wondering or searching YouTube and finding mm. all of this conflicting information, mm. like what is one thing that they can do on their own or one sort of exercise that you could help us with? Yeah. Well, you know, a pretty typical and based in science uh, exercise is some form of uh, 
of elliptril. The I, I guess the technical term is a semi-occluded vocal tract, something or other. Basically, you're trying to create a smaller opening with your mouth. So you can do it with with, with lip bubbles like or you can do it with tongue, yeah, or a tongue trill. Or you could use a Z or an S. Well, no, not S. Z. What's the other one? There's another one. Anyway, you pick the one that feels the best because some people can't roll their tongue or they can't, their lips don't bubble. You pick one of those and you move up and down through your range. And that gives your vocal folds a nice gentle stretch. And there's a whole lot of science behind why that works. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't really need to know, but Tandy's a teacher to understand it. But um, right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's it's it basically it gets your vocal folds vibrating in a low pressure environment. It's very gentle. It's like I would say for a for a runner, it'd be like doing a gentle stretch before you actually go out and start pacing around. Yeah. Oh, low pressure environment. Could you speak a bit more to that and how that affects vocal yeah. health? Okay. Sure. Sure. And when I mean low pressure, I'm actually talking about air pressure. Yeah. So I'm not, yeah. So when you're when you're generating um, generating sound, um, especially with professional singers, you can generate an awful lot of air pressure moving up to the uh, to the underside of your vocal folds. The air passes through in the edges of the vocal folds. They flutter, and that's what makes the sound. So a professional singer can generate like five to six atmospheres is one way of measuring it. So if you know the, the air we're breathing right now is one atmosphere, but if you were to you know pressurize that, you can get it like five to six times whatever's around you. So if you create a small opening in the front of your mouth, the air inside your mouth, actually the pressure goes up <laughs> and it counterbalances the pressure coming up from your lungs. So you get this counterbalance and, and the net result being that your vocal folds are vibrating in a lower pressure environment than they're, they're used to. Yeah, very cool. I know yeah. so many singers are like, I'm just going to bust out this high note like right now, you know, <laughs> like, why can't I do it? You know, and they're so frustrated. Well, but yeah, like you wouldn't expect an athlete to do that, right? You don't right. expect someone to come out and at, for the, to run the hundred meters and win the gold. And all they did is roll out of bed and throw on their track suit and, you know, put on their shoes and just show up like this. They're not going to win that way. There's no way. Exactly. I mean, we watch pregame football. They're out there on the field an hour before their game starts throwing the ball, running around, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like you have to sing for, uh, it's like those guys aren't playing football, but they're right. doing things to get them ready for the, so you don't have to sing for an hour before you, you actually have to perform. You just need to get everything ready, do a little bit of warm ups, and you're good. You're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. So how does our culture right now affect vocal health? Because I noticed that there are like different styles and the radio and a lot of people want to mimic those styles. You know, oh, that's what good yeah. singing kind of means to people. And they right. can get, it's frustrating for a singer when you can't sound like <laughs> Ed Sheeran. I don't know. Although yeah. I, I kind of, as a pop singer, I kind of like yeah. him, but. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, well, I, you know, I think that's more a question of uh, not culture so much as is understanding that what we're being delivered on our uh, uh, audio devices is, is a sound that's been packaged up and processed immensely. And by the time it gets to our ears, is that actually what the person, like, is that what they actually sound like? 
That's, that's a one very good question because you can do a lot of processing. And so, so let's say you're, you're going for the, you go, ah, the real breathy sound, you know, <laughs> your unsupported breathy sound. Well, you know, you can, you can sing that up close on a microphone, really, really close. And, and that can sound kind of neat. And then you get the audio engineer who boosts that the presence of that breath is and you get oh now you go and try and recreate that live that's pretty hard it's actually really hard on your voice and not only that if now let's say you're in a situation where um maybe you don't have a good microphone the microphone isn't loud enough and so oh my goodness it just it's just a casket you're asking for vocal injury there really by trying to imitate some of these things so you know there's the danger there, you know? And um, so if you could listen to some of these people unprocessed, that would be handy. That'd be a handy thing to do. And that's yeah. a great tip, like uh, mm-hmm. watching a live or acoustic version of one of your favorite singers. Yeah, that's a great idea, the acoustic version. And, um, and now, of course, you also got to keep remembering that you don't know how many takes they did that in. So, you know, maybe, maybe they can do that on one take or two takes and then their voice is shot. I mean, that's not a yeah. I guess it's just like anything. I mean, we're so, the expectations are just astronomical. I mean, you see like the underwear models and like they're, they're very thin and fit, but they're also, they've been airbrushed and it's like, they don't even need to do that. You know, it's how. Not even, not even even just airbrushed. I mean, they're that too, but you know, they probably um, cut weight and they haven't drunk a drop, had had a drop of water to drink the 24 hours prior to that photo shoot to get that definition on their body. Yeah, the expectations of our culture just are just like, how is a singer supposed to compete with that, you know, without proper guidance or just, yeah, yeah, absolutely support. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, well, I've really enjoyed this. Um, One last thing, or Mm -hmm. maybe you have some more. I noticed that on your website, it says that we have the tendency to favor the rapid artistic production rather than the slow maturation. And I thought that that was really profound. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if I refer back to when we were speaking about uh, Pavarotti and his early training, um, you see see a lot of training right now is where uh, you go to, I'll take singing lessons and then, you know, your teacher warms you up and then you, you sing a bit of a song and then you, you, you pick little pieces of the song and trying to correct things. So that's sort of the rapid artistic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, which that works great if your voice is already fully developed, then that's where you need to be actually. Yeah. But if your voice is not fully developed, needs more coordination or one of your registers are weak, you need to actually stop and build that up and gain the coordination and the, and the muscle memory and all that before you move on. Because if you don't, you end up generating um, habits, you know, based on your deficiencies. Uh. So if Pavarotti spent six months doing nothing but scales every day to lay the foundation for his later greatness, you know, maybe that's something we should consider too. Oh, I love that, you know, because a lot of singers will be like, this is boring, you know, and you can tell they have these questions like, why are we doing this? You know, I just want to sing. I want to sing a song. I want to have fun. And there's something to be said for that too. But isn't it more fun to hear yourself improve? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose it depends on your goal, right? 
Yeah. If you're just singing for fun, then okay, just sing for fun. But you know, if you're wanting to get somewhere with it, you're gonna have to put in the work. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, there's no getting around it. There's no someone who's just born great. I mean, if anybody could have been that, it would have been Luciano Pavarotti. And he, and you know, and he's so he's a great one to keep referring to. If that guy needed to work his behind off. <laughs> 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 then maybe I should be willing to uh, put in a bit of work myself. Yeah, definitely. So is that, I, I love that because it's like, I feel like I say that a lot and it's like a parent, you know, who says something to their child, but now I'm hearing it from someone else. So I'm loving, I'm loving that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, if you want it, you're going to have to work for it. So, you know, I mean, don't just give up. Yeah. So what are some first steps like, I'm, I'm a pretty good singer. Let's say, mm -hmm. you know, if you've got listeners, like I'm a pretty good singer, but I'm not really sure what to do next. I think I'm willing to work hard, but I'm just, I don't know what to do. What should I do next? Well, well you, need, you, need a, you need a good teacher is what you need. And you need to put the time in with the teacher. Um, and so I, how do you know, like, how do you know it's a good teacher oh, that's for you? <laughs> especially with this, like you said, you know, I went in and I had this open mind, Yeah. but you know, I know there's a lot of questions like, Oh, does this person really know what they're talking about? Like, do I, is that just something you just have to like throw to the wind and, and feel in your, in your body or like heart, your brain? What would you say to that? Well, there's, I mean, there's a bit of trial and error. You know, some teachers are good at, at certain points uh, for a person and not for others. So you get some teachers who are absolutely fabulous with somebody who's got a pretty solid developed voice and they're able to take them to that, that next level. But that teacher may not be any good for somebody who's just starting. Um, yeah. So you gotta, you know, you gotta find someone who can um, um, identify the deficiencies, I guess, or the weaknesses in your voice and know how to address them. Yeah. yeah. How long would you say to give the relationship before maybe thinking about, oh, I'm not sure this is right for me. Like, Gosh, well, I would give it at least six months, at least. Yeah. Um, and now, now here's the thing. You give it six months, but you need to do what the yes. teacher asked you to do. Because if you don't do it and then say, this isn't working for me, you actually, you have no basis to say that anymore. You don't know if it's working for you because you haven't done the work. Yeah, and that's a great point. Yeah. It reminds me of a funny headline on The Onion. I don't know if you know what The yes, Onion is. Yes, yes, satire, yeah. It was like, student makes huge breakthrough by doing what teacher says. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, fancy that, eh? Yeah, imagine, imagine that. Well, I've enjoyed so much our conversation, and I am so excited for everyone to hear it. And where can our listeners find you and learn more about you? and all that good stuff yeah um alternative vocal training.com if you can remember that three yeah words together you could also go to avt.coach but those will both go to the same spot i'm particular i mean i'll work with uh, uh you know anybody who wants to try these odd methods i'm particularly interested in helping people who've had traumatic voice issues Oh, that's good. So can you give yeah. us some examples of those traumatic voice issues yeah. so those people yeah. can seek you out? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I was one of them, right? And I just yes. know how devastating that, that absolutely is to a person's psyche. <laughs> but um, um, 
Yeah, I, I you know, I worked with somebody who uh, was getting over a reflux issue and, and their voice just wasn't operating properly. And I, you know, I, I, I could hear it in there and we just kept working through, we identified the exercises required and um, it was just a bit of therapy to get him through and then he was good to go after that. that well, for was, listeners who may not be sure, are you talking about acid reflux? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this was uh, Bob Harris. He used to sing with uh, Frank Zappa back in the day. And Bob, oh. Bob's still performing. The guy's the guy phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's in Colorado right now. And then um, I've got another student who had a, uh, a she was an actress, theater in, in London. She did stage and film. And um, she had a, 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 a nasal surgery. And the doctor, unfortunately, uh, did a little extra work in there. <laughs> that he was really not supposed to do. And when she came out, her, uh, her voice didn't feel right anymore. And uh, she really? pretty much lost. Yeah, because what happened was she had a certain sensation of what the voice should be like, and she kept trying to recreate it. And it was actually impossible with the sur- after the surgery to recreate the same feel. And so she just you know, ran her voice into you know, chaos, essentially. And uh, so the retraining was long, yeah, probably it was similar to me. Like it was like certainly a year and a half, something like that. In the grand scheme of things, though, after something that traumatic, that is really not that long of a time yeah. period. So it's amazing. Yeah. Well, the trouble is that when you're in it, you just don't know. Like, right? Ever get better? <laughs> Ooh, why isn't this working? Yeah, yeah it's, it's so horrible. So you know, any of those sorts of things, in particular, because I know the emotional trauma of having your voice gone. And, um, and it's, uh, you know, you want to have a teacher who's uh, sensitive to that. Yeah. There, there are some out there who, who are not. And right. It's, you know, it's, it can be a sad thing. So I, I try and be very careful and, and not to, to give false hopes either. Not to say, oh, yes, I can fix you. Well, no, let me hear you. Let me hear what's going on. Let's try right. a couple of things. Let's see. And if I think there's something there that, that we can deal with, then yeah, let's move ahead. But uh, yeah, you got to look out for the, there's charlatans out there too. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Anybody who says, I guarantee you, blah, without ever hearing you, you need to take a step back and go, wait a second. Or making sure, you know, there's some sort of first lesson without any, you know, need to continue for either party. Just yes. making sure you're a good fit and it seems right, feels right. Mm-hmm. Yeah alternativevocaltraining.com and yeah. I'll also put that in the show notes so the link will be easy and if you are interested you can just scroll down and click that link for more information on Bruce Moore and his bizarre <laughs> methods of vocal training which are backed in vocal science they are so <laughs> I am really excited and Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great.